gets your gizzard, won't it? Thank you, choir. Aren't we glad for when the Lord... I mean, He's always there because He's omnipotent and He's omnipresent. We have a God that's past our understanding. People say, I just can't understand God. Well, you're not going to be able to understand God. He's eternal. That's something we're not used to. He's uh, omnipotent, and that's something we can never attain. And He's omnipresent. It means he's, he's here with us this morning, and He's there with our crew up at camp. He is... Uh, God is spirit, and he says to worship him in spirit and in truth. And we get to do that this morning. And I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for, uh, Ernie, the songs that were picked and the, and the scriptures. I, I asked Ernie, I, we didn't catch it, I, but the first service, I, I said, Ernie, I says, why did you pick that, that, uh, that verse in uh, Revelation uh, 22? He says, I don't know. I says, well, that's interesting. I says, you know what, though? It's an encouraging verse because it reminds us that someday we're going to be in heaven for all of eternity. And that's where we need to understand. We need to keep that before us, that God has saved us. And we ought not to ever get uh, discouraged in the things of this world, but to keep our hope in the Lord. And so this morning, I want you to take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Math- uh, excuse me, Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. I appreciated uh, Wayne's song this morning. I, I don't know when that song was written, but that was a good old song that was written out there. Um, we don't know all that's going to be up in heaven, but uh, at least a few thoughts there about it. We uh, returned to the life of Christ in the study, and uh, it is my prayer that this morning that this will not just be intellectual information. Sometimes we can approach the Bible and we can get into the, the root words of uh, the Greek and, and those things like that. And we can maybe miss the wonderful message that God has for us. I believe there's a, a message here this morning for all of us. And uh, I hope that it will be encouraging to you as we look uh, at uh, the end of the first year of Christ's ministry. Right? Can I say that again? It is the end of the first year of Christ's ministry. If I finish this morning, this will be the conclusion of his first year, and we'll take you on to year number two out of the four years that Jesus ministered here in this, uh, in this world. And here in uh, Luke chapter 5, we uh, saw last time that uh, he is up in the area... Uh, and I know this map is really small, but that's the Sea of Galilee. Remember the Jordan above it and the Jordan below it going down into the Dead Sea. And, of course, Jerusalem is right over here and Bethany and Bethlehem. And those cities that maybe are a little bit more known to us are down here right across from the top of the, the Dead Sea. But he spends a lot of his ministry up here by the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias, because there's Tiberias that enters to it, and Gennesaret, Gennesaret. So up there, can you all, it's probably hard, I mean, I'm, I, you know how stupid I am. I was looking at the map back there and seeing if my pointer was on it, and I'm thinking, no, that's a different projector back there, isn't that right? So, but can you all see my, my little, little pointer there? Do you see all that? How many can see that? How many can see that? Half of you. Oh, well. Oh, well. Well, anyways, you got the idea. We'll show you a bigger map as we, we get closer. He is up in this region of Capernaum, and we see him in the, the catch of the fish. Remember that last week? And uh, do you all remember how many fish they caught? 
How many tonnage? Two boatloads. Boat it was a boatload, all right. Two boatloads, about five to six tons. Five to six tons of fish. And they brought them in there. That's a lot of fish, isn't it? Can you imagine? And, and you know, the Lord, in, in, in His omnipotence and omniscience and all these kinds of things, caused such a, a, a drought the night before. They had gone out, no fish. The fish were obedient to the Creator. They didn't jump in the net the night before. And Peter says, man, we didn't catch anything. Why do you want us to go out there and do it again? Some things don't make sense to us. But if God, the Creator, tells us to do something, we need to do it. We need to listen to what He says. And He knows what's best for all of us. And so Peter, in his reluctance, says, I'm going to teach that carpenter something. I'll throw out the net. And, of course, he didn't realize he's not the carpenter. He's the Creator. And those fish were summoned to come and jump in the net. Can you imagine? I'd, I'd like that when, when I go fishing. In fact, somebody came up to me afterwards. I don't remember who it was that came up to me after the service last Sunday. And they said, you know, these disciples, they were Jews. If, if I was there, I would have said, uh, uh, maybe, Lord, we can go into a partnership and go 50-50 on this type of thing. You know, uh, that sounds like a good deal. I mean, we'll split with you. But Jesus says, no, I want you to leave your nets. And I want you to be fishers. Of men. And God has called us to occupy in being fishers of men. Do you understand that that is your occupation? That's my occupation, is to share our faith. And so, what happens now as we get into the next verses there in Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 12, you'll see him still up in that region. In fact, he is in Capernaum, which is the, uh, the northern tip of uh, the uh, uh, Sea of Galilee. He is up there and, uh, and he is ministering up there. In fact, uh, probably about five of his, at least five of his apostles lived there in Capernaum uh, or around that area right there. Uh, there was Peter and Andrew and there was James and John. And we're going to discover from today Matthew as well. And in fact, is, is if you were to look at this map, and I wish I could uh, show it to you a little bit clear, clearer, right there is Nazareth, less than about 20 miles away. What you're going to discover, there's Cana. Remember Cana? There he performed the first miracle of turning the water into wine. He was born in Nazareth, but he ministers a lot up here by Capernaum. The reason he doesn't minister much in Nazareth is, remember what happened there? They rejected him. And, they, and, and the Lord says, you know, a prophet's not without honor in his own country. And so he ministers up there and he calls us. And he told his disciples, leave your nets and come and follow me. And they did. There are so many people who miss out on what God has for them and the miracles that he wants to create and do in their lives because they're not willing to leave all and follow the Lord. And so that's how the verses end here in verse 11. Uh, then we'll begin reading in verse 12, and I'll just read the, the different section of this. It says, and it came to pass, this is Luke five twelve, that uh, when he was in a, a certain city, this is Capernaum, uh, and, and someone corrected me in the first service, Capernaum, not Capernaum, so I need to make sure I said it right. I said I was saying it with the Polish accent on it. So Capernaum, <laughs> when he was in a certain city, Capernaum, behold, a man full of what? Leprosy, good disease, bad disease, very bad 
disease. In fact, uh, this was uh, likened unto the horrible sins of Israel. And, uh, I mean, this was, these people were despised. They were outcasts. And, in fact, there were three groups of people that were actually outcasts in this culture. Uh, you find the lepers, the Gentiles, and women. All right? Now, aren't you glad that the Lord Jesus Christ isn't an outcast to any one of those uh, people? He has come to seek and to save that which is lost. And so it says that he had leprosy. Uh, who seen Jesus fell on his face and besought him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And he put forth, Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately the leprosy departed from him. And Jesus charged him to tell no man but to go and show himself to the priest and offer uh, the offering for the cleansing according to the Moses commandments, for the testimony unto them. But so much the more went there a fame abroad of him, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. And he withdrew himself unto the wilderness and prayed. Father, I pray that you'll help us with this message. Lord, just help us to warm our hearts here into what's taking place. And that, Lord, that you'll give us that excitement of who we are in Christ and understand who we were before we were saved. Thank you, Father, for these three events that take place in uh, teaching the disciples of your compassion towards the lost. Now, bless in Jesus' name. Amen. Leprosy, also called Hansen's disease. Do you know that there are actually 10 million people in the, uh, the world that are still affected by Hansen's disease or leprosy? And there are thousands even in America. Now, they've come up with an uh, antibiotic, as it is a bacterial uh, disease, that uh, helps uh, with that today. But back then, there was no cure for leprosy. And can you imagine if you woke up one morning and you started noticing some spots on your skin? Maybe your hope would say, well, you know, maybe I was out in the sun too long or something is happening and it... It doesn't go away. You start scratching it maybe a little bit, and it starts to grow and develop. Let me read you the description of a man that would come down with leprosy and what would start going through his mind as he recognized that he had that disease. Uh, this is um, in uh, 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 William Hendrickson gives this description. The disease, which is today called leprosy, generally begins with pain in certain areas of the body. Numbness follows. Soon the skin is... Such spots, uh, in such spots, loses its original color. It gets to be thick, glossy, and scaly. You know, as I'm reading this description, I'm reminded of what the Old Testament talks about, how that they would tell it was leprosy and how they could tell that it was clean. And you could read that in the Levitical law. Uh, it would become thick, glossy, and scaly. As the sickness progresses, this thickness uh, the thickened spots become dirty sores and ulcers due to poor blood supply. The skin, especially around the eyes and the ears, begins to bunch with deep furrows between the swellings so that the face of the afflicted individual begins to resemble that of a lion. Fingers drop off or absorbed. Toes are affected similarly. Eyebrows and eyelashes drop out. 
By this time, one can see the person in this pitiable condition is a leper. By a touch of the finger, one can also feel it. One can even smell it, for the leper emits a very unpleasant odor. Moreover, in view of the fact that these disease-producing agents frequently also attacks the larynx, the leper's voice acquires a grating or grating quality. His throat becomes hoarse, and you can now not only see, feel, and smell the leper, but you can hear his rasping voice. And if you stay uh, with him for some time, you can even imagine a peculiar taste in your mouth, probably due to the odor. They were to cry out, unclean, unclean. I'm told that uh, leprosy is transmitted. It can be through touch. However, that would have to be an open sore that uh, the bacteria would get into, but through airborne. And because of an airborne illness like that, it was the rule that you would stay at least six feet away from the leper. Now, well, let's make Phil the leper here today. He's already starting to feel the, the outcast. And, and, and all. I mean, can you imagine six feet away? That's in the wind's not blowing. If the wind's blowing, you're supposed to stay at least 100 feet away from other people. And here comes this leper to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he'd heard about the marvelous powers of God. And he comes and he falls right down at his feet. The Pharisees, if they saw a leper coming at them, you know what they would do? They would pick up stones and throw them at them to keep them at bay. But here, the Lord Jesus Christ sees this leopard coming in. The Bible says in one of the other Gospels that he was moved with compassion. And he reached down. Can you imagine? He wasn't concerned about his health. He was concerned about the soul of that leper. And if the Lord Jesus Christ is concerned about the soul of a leper, should we not be concerned about the souls of mankind? Here his disciples were just called to be fishers of men. And what we see in this marvelous portion of Luke chapter 5 is him coming and dealing with people who would be considered outcasts of society or those that people would not want to have anything to do with them. We're too good. You see the Pharisees in these stories, they're coming and they don't want to have anything to do with them. Can I just say that when we lose our compassion for the loss... We are, we are in a miserable state in our own soul. I was thinking this week about our building project. And, oh, I tell you, I can't wait to get in. How about you? You know, that's going to be wonderful. And they're building a beautiful building. And they're picking out carpet and color and, and some things I can't even tell you about that they're doing. And it's going to be wonderful. And I'm thanking the Lord for His great hands. But woe to us if we get concerned about who might be coming into the building if they're a little dirty. Or maybe the wall might get banged up because some kid put his knee through it or something like that or whatever might take place. You know, we need to be more concerned about souls than a building. We see that with the Lord. So I encourage you. You know, sometimes people don't want to have part with people that have been in prison 
or people that are outcast society. Maybe they're not as poor. Maybe you don't associate with them. You've got your friends over here that are more well-to-do. You see Jesus coming to seek and to save the lost. Man, the passion that he has. And I want us to catch this. And listen, listen. Do you think this leper came just kind of walking up to Jesus and just kind of nonchalant? Hey, you know what? If you got time, would you heal me today? He realized his condition. By the way, this is the picture of a lost man coming to Christ as well. You realize that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. And he falls down at his feet. There are some, some verses that uh, I can bring up on the screen here in, uh, in uh, uh, Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Uh, it says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. Does God want everyone to be saved? That's right. He came and he died on the cross for all mankind. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants everyone to be saved. He wants us to be his mouthpiece to share the good news to this world that needs so desperately. Uh, the Lord. Wherefore, Hebrews chapter 11 or 7 verse 25 says, He is able also to save them to the uttermost that come to God by Him, seeing He ever liveth to make intercession for them. Praise the Lord for that. Uh, for He saith, I have heard thee in the time accepted, in the day of salvation, have I helped thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Let me tell you, my friends, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you're not certain of where you're going to spend eternity. Today's the day to get saved. Tomorrow could be too late. You could have a stroke. You could have a heart attack. And you'll find yourself in eternity. Where will you spend eternity? You will not be able to change the destination once you die. But you can, you can ask the Lord to be your Savior now. Praise the Lord for that. Well, he gets healed of his leprosy. And all this that I described to you, all of a sudden, he, he was made well. Can you imagine if... Well, Phil's not that ugly. But, uh, uh, you know, can you imagine just all, I mean, the, the lion face becoming smooth again and his, his flesh taking on that rosy color rather than that white, uh, pukey, uh, pussy uh, ew, feeling. And all of a sudden he's made well. Made well. You know, when you got saved, that's what happened to you. Yes? Yes. Did he just kind of walk away and say, okay, I'm glad that happened? Did he? The, the Lord said, that you go and show yourself to the priest. Now, whether he was supposed to go all the way back down to Jerusalem or maybe the synagogue there, we're not absolutely certain, but possibly to go all the way down to the temple, uh, which was about 80 miles away, and uh, bring up the offering because that's where the offerings were supposed to be made. You see what I'm saying? Uh, he goes out there, and I'm sure some of his buddies probably saw what had happened. He didn't have to say much, you know. It wasn't, hey, hey, well, we see something different in you. Jesus healed me. People ought to see something different in our lives. Amen. They, the Bible says people ought to ask, what's the hope that's in you? Why? Why are you different? 
And he was excited. And I tell you what, we ought to be excited about what the Lord has done. And the Bible says that a great multitude came and they flung, 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 whatever, around Jesus. And Jesus had to separate himself to go pray and everything. And, and, and wow, wow. You know what? I tell you what, if we get excited about our salvation, what Jesus Christ has done and never get over. Remember, I told you when I got saved, I came home from camp and my dad says, yo, you'll get over. I said, Dad, what I've got, I'll never get over. If you can get over it, you probably never had it. It's real. I'm not going to go to hell. I'm going to heaven. God has saved me and I can share my faith. So he comes back and again, he's in Capernaum again. And, and Jesus reached down and he touches this man. And, and by the way, that's an interesting part. I mean, Jesus wasn't concerned about him catching the disease. He was concerned about that soul. And he reaches down and he touches him and he gets saved. Uh, in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, For he hath made him, God made Jesus Christ to be sin for us. God Son, Jesus, who is God of eternity, creator of all, came down to this world, was made in likeness as man, and touched the infirmities that we would go through. And when He was nailed on the cross, took all of our sins upon Him, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Amen to that? Oh, I've been declared right in God's sight. God has forgiven me of all my sins. Praise His name. Nothing good to I to bring to Christ, but through the cross I have clung, and therefore I have eternal life. Thank the Lord for that. Well, we go on to the next story, and you'll see the paralytic. You know, you imagine this is again right after uh, His call of disciples. Now, uh, understand that this event and these three events are also recorded in Matthew chapter 8 and 9, Mark 1 and 2, and here in Luke 5. And what you're going to notice is that these events in uh, uh, Mark is right there in chapter 1 and 2 is the end of Jesus' first ministry, yet it's in chapter 8 and 9 of Matthew uh, Matthew's account of the gospel is in subject matter where Mark and Luke are more chronological. All right. So that's why we are looking at it a lot of times in uh, 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 Luke's account because of the chronology of it. And understand that each of the gospels had a reason for their their writing. And you can read this event in Matthew, Mark and in Luke In Matthew's account. It's interesting that it's in chapter 8 and 9. You say, why that? Because 5, 6, and 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount, Mike, was preached during Jesus' second year of ministry. Isn't that something? So what you'll see in Matthew's account, in fact, Matthew was written to the Jews to present Jesus Christ as the king. You'll see the chronology of the king there in Matthew chapter 1. And you'll see the description of his birth there and uh, in chapter 2, I believe it is, and how that uh, he was to be the, the, the uh, born king of the Jews and, and how that, that uh, his chronology and how that his, 
His uh, birth. And Matthew refers, as it is written, the prophecies and all the things that talk about Jesus Christ. Matthew brings them out in greater, greater detail. Mark presents Jesus Christ as the servant, and that's why it gets right in to these miracles that Jesus is doing and misses much of the other early year uh, of, of Christ. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount is the theological presentation of, of Christ. And then in Matthew 8 and 9, which is what we're studying here, is the idea of the power of the king. And so now we come to this, this second area that we're going to look at this morning, and that is the healing of the paralyzed man. In verse 17, it says, It came to pass of a certain day as he was teaching that there were now Pharisees. Jesus Christ is catching the attention of the religious elite. The doctors of the law. They were coming to him out of the towns of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. And they saw the power of God was present and God was healing. Behold, men were brought to him and here they're now in a house. The Bible describes it could have been Peter's house. It could have been James and John's house. We're not sure whose house it is, but it's in Capernaum. And here a great multitude are gathered. And I imagine these Pharisees got there and they wanted to see what is this man who claims to be the Messiah? What is he doing? And as this scene unfolds, you'll see this house crowded and people standing outside. And here come four men carrying the paralyzed man, their friend, on, uh, uh, what do we call that? Uh, stretcher. Isn't that great? Friends bringing friends to Jesus. Amen. And they bring there and they can't get in. They can't get in. The parking lot's full. <laughs> There's a couple of things in this story that I, you know, again, we're seeing the compassion of the Lord and sometimes we lose the compassion of the Lord. We're concerned about the best parking spots. We're concerned about our seat or this and that. Do you see that anybody getting up and leaving to let this paralyzed man in? Standing at the door. Oh, hey, let's stand back. Let's let this guy come in. No, you don't see that, do you? But in their determination, they didn't give up. They wanted to see Jesus. And they believed. They had such faith. They climb up onto the rooftop. Can you imagine? That'd take a little bit of effort, wouldn't it? And as they're up there on the rooftop, they're peeling away the tiles. Kind of like us stripping the roof at, uh, at uh, Irving property. Pulling away those tiles. And then people are just gathered inside. And all of a sudden, some dust starts floating down. And some rays of light start coming in. And people are starting to look around. What in the world is happening? These people had a determination. They wanted to find the one who has hope and deliverance. Oh, would people come to Jesus like that today? Rather than in our self-righteousness thinking we're good enough. And hear this pathetic sight as these four friends lower their, their friend down, paralyzed down to the, the, the ground. And, and here's the crowd looking around. And I imagine the Pharisees and the lawyers were sitting there on the front row. Skeptical. And what does Jesus say to this man? Thy sins 
are forgiven you. And when Jesus says our sins are forgiven you, what does he mean? He means our sins are forgiven. How many of our sins? All of them. Aren't you glad? Jesus Christ died once on that cross. And our sins which were in the future, He died for all of our sins. There's only one sacrifice for sin. And, and, and here this man is claiming, wanting to be healed. He gets a lot more than getting healed here. Do you see that? Man, the, the healing would have been just temporary. But his salvation that comes through his sins being forgiven is that which is going to last for eternity. And the Pharisee said, whoa, whoa, Who is this that blasphemes? Only God is able to forgive sins. Is that a true statement? It is, isn't it? It's a great statement. They at least got that part right. Only God can forgive sins. They didn't realize that God was right there before them. And so Jesus says this to him. He says, he says, well, let me ask you, is it easier for me to say thy sins be forgiven thee or to say, take up your bed and walk? Wow. He's trying to show these religious leaders a marvelous truth of the power of God. Anybody can say your sins are forgiven you. I could say go out and do this and do that and your sins will be forgiven you. But God forgave his sins truly. And God demonstrates that healing of the soul by the healing of the, of the, of the, of the body. And we'll see that oftentimes in these healings is God is using these uh, miraculous events of healings of the body to show the healing that takes place in the soul of mankind when you and I got saved. Some people say, boy, I wish I were there. Do you know what? You were there. When you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you had a great miracle take place in your soul. And so Jesus says to the guy, stand up and walk. What does he do? Stands up. And he takes his bed and he walks out. Wow. Now, wouldn't you all believe if you saw something like that? Well, those same Pharisees and those same religious leaders were still trying to find what is wrong with this picture. The trouble is, everything was right about that picture and they missed it. And so you come now to the next event that takes place. You know, and, I, and I, I just, I don't know, I've missed some of these verses, but bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of His benefits, uh, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment. For all that are oppressed. And Jeremiah says, For I will forgive their iniquities, and I will remember their sins. What? No more. Hallelujah! I have been forgiven. Just one thing before we go into Matthew's call. And what we see here is, as I continue reading, and Jesus uh, uh, says in verse 22, he perceived their thoughts, and Matthew tells us that they were evil thoughts. He answered and said unto them, For reasons of the heart, where is it easier to say, sin, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to rise up and walk? But that thou mayest know, now catch this, don't want to miss this, that thou mayest know that the Son of Man hath power upon earth to forgive sins. 
He said unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto you, Arise, take up your couch, and go unto the house. He says there, so that you might know that the Son of Man. Now understand, these are Pharisees, and they're scribes, and they're the religious leaders. Do you think that they had a fair understanding of the Old Testament? Yes. It's interesting, he uses this phrase in front of them, the Son of Man. The Son of Man. Do you know that phrase is used some 80 times in the book of Ezekiel? 80 times in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel is about the coming of the Lord. And it uses the Son of Man. It's used in Daniel. And here, can you imagine him going out not only saying your sins are forgiven you, but he claims to be the Son of Man. They had heard that terminology because they had read it in the Old Testament. In Daniel, listen to what it says here. I saw in the night visions. And behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the ancients of days and they brought him near before him and there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom and all people, nations and language should serve him. His dominion is everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. You know something, Ernie? The verse that you picked out this morning, it said... That we'll reign with Him forever and ever. Isn't that what it said? Look at verse 18. says, This is the prophecy of the Old Testament in Daniel chapter 7. The Word of God complete from beginning to end. But the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever and ever. Someday you and I will rule and reign with Jesus Christ. Saved to the uttermost. Saved. To the uttermost. Well, we got one more person. We better look at him, right? Hey, that map's a little bit bigger. Can you all see that now? You see that a little bit better? Up there. Let's see if I can hit it. Oh, yeah, there's Capernaum again. Yeah, I can see that from back here. Can you all see that? David, can you see that back here? There it is. Oh, that's a little bit dimmer. He's there in Capernaum again, and guess who he runs into? The tax collector. Now, do you catch what's going on here? Who did he see first? The leper. Now he heals the paralytic. Now he comes to a tax collector. Do you think tax collectors had a lot of friends? They were also the outcasts of society. In Roman culture, they would conquer a people, but then they would allow that people that they conquered to be a part of the government so that the people would be uh, in their own culture and they would have their own people to answer to. But the Jews looked at any tax collector or any government official, even though they were Jews, they would look at them as outcasts. They would not allow them into the synagogue. They were considered animals, lowlifes and all. And here Jesus comes after healing this paralytic. Man, he comes there and you begin uh, reading in, uh, in uh, verse 27. And after these things, he went forth and saw a publican, that's a tax collector, named Levi, whose name is also what? Matthew, sitting at the receipts of the custom. And I can imagine it'd be a kind of a lonely life. And here comes Jesus. He comes up and he meets Matthew 
And he says, Matthew or Levi, I want you to leave the tax table and come and follow me. I imagine Matthew was so excited uh, about, hey, God is calling me to be one of his disciples. Do you all see that? He gets up immediately and he follows the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you, folks, what we see in this passage is we see people healing and getting excited that they're saved and that they're healed. And we need to be excited that God has saved our soul and never get over it. Matthew, he goes out there and he is so excited. You know what he does? He throws a party. He throws a party. And guess who he invites? All the other lowlifes. And riffraffs of society. You see, probably the Pharisees, they wouldn't have come. That's below them. But the riffraff of life came and they discovered who Jesus is. Remember Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Remember, he wanted to see Jesus so much, he climbed up a sycamore tree. Here are these people. They come together to see Jesus. You know, when you realize that you have a need and you go to the one who can meet that need. I, uh, uh, he says here, the Pharisees come. You see, they didn't see, think they had a need. Do you know how many people in America don't think they have a need of the Savior? They're going to discover sadly someday that they needed the Savior. They come and they didn't come to him. They came to his disciples and said, What's your master doing? He's sitting there with publicans and sinners. He got a reputation, by the way, of him that sitteth with publicans and sinners. Jesus Christ came to seek and to save the lost. And Jesus perceives what they're saying. And so what does he say to them? He says, you know, the righteous don't need salvation. He says, it's not the well that need to be cured. It's the sick who need the physician. And by the way, Jesus is the physician. He is called the great physician. And I wrote down here, he has a perfect diagnosis for sin. He has a complete cure. He can save you to the uttermost. And guess what? He paid the bill as well. Matthew quotes... And Matthew, true to the idea that these Jews needed to understand. So Jesus quotes in uh, Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. Matthew says in in 9.13, you don't see this in Luke, but you do see this in Matthew, uh, the record there. He says, uh, says, you need to learn the meaning. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. What book did I say he was quoting from? Hosea, how many know the story of Hosea? It's a fascinating story, isn't it, Jerry? Hosea 6 says, For I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Jesus is telling these Pharisees, He says, remember the account of Hosea. And Hosea is about a righteous man who is called to be a priest, I believe it was, and to serve God. And he marries a prostitute. And this prostitute goes out after marriage and continues in her prostitution. 
such that Hosea has to go out there and rescue her and bring her back. One time, he goes out there and sees her emaciated because of the abuse that went on in her life. And he buys her off of the slave market uh, stump and brings her back. Because we have a God of mercy. No matter what you have done or I have done, we have a God of mercy who's able to rescue us. Thank the Lord for that. I want to encourage you. Don't ever get over your salvation. Don't ever lose sight of what God has rescued you from. Let me go to Luke chapter 7. If you just turn there, we'll close with this. I caught my attention this morning. I was going to read just one verse, but, uh, but then I, I looked at this verse and I wanted to find out more of the passage. You know, sometimes we know verses. We don't know all that's taking place here. Uh, notice here in uh, Luke chapter 7. Let's go to verse 37. Luke seven thirty-seven. What you're going to see in verse 36, in fact, we can start there. There was a Pharisee desired him, and he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. All right, a completely different story here. Remember, there in Matthew's heart, the publicans and sinners, Jesus went in. Well, now a Pharisee says, I want to find out more about this Jesus. It was their responsibility to watch over the Jews in, in uh, what saying. And so this Pharisee's name is Simon. So don't get confused when you read the name Simon. There are several Simons in the Bible. But he invites Jesus over to his house. And I can imagine there's a completely different group of people in this house than what we saw there in Luke chapter 5. But what we see is we see a woman who's not invited comes running in and falls down at Jesus' feet. Verse 37, a woman in the city which was a what? Sinner, possibly a prostitute. And when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment. Don't get confused with the anointing of Mary of Bethany at the end of, of Christ's uh, life after just before his crucifixion. And, and, stood at his, and, and stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with her tears and did wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisees which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that touched him, uh, for she is a sinner. Do you see what's happening? Here's this woman at Jesus' feet, washing his feet with her hair. And the Pharisees say, man, if he knew what kind of woman she was. Do you think Jesus knew what kind of woman she was? Oh, yeah. Do you think he knew he could have caught leprosy if he had touched the leopard? You see his compassion, his compassion. You all know about his compassion. He rescued us from hell. Jesus answered and said unto him, Simon, he, he says, Simon, the Pharisee, remember that I have somewhat to say unto thee. He said, OK, talk. He says, there was a certain creditor which had two debtors, one owed 500 pence and the other 50 pence. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Let me ask you something. Can you pay your debt of sin? None of us can pay our debt of sin. And what he says is he forgave that debt, 500 pence and the 50 pence, and he, de he declared it forgiven, forgotten. 
He says, which of them do you think would love more? Simon answered, catch this, Simon answered, he said, well, I suppose he to whom was forgiven more, the 500 pence. He said unto him, thou hast rightly said or judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, seest thou this woman? I entered into your house, Simon, and thou gave me no water for my feet. But she hath washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss. But this woman, since the time I came, it hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou hast not anointed. But this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins which are many are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at the meat, can I'm telling you something, they missed the whole story. Began to say within themselves, who is he which forgiveth sins also? And he said unto the woman, thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. I'd much rather be that woman at Jesus' feet than those Pharisees. How about you? And by the way, that's who we are. And the more you and I recognize what we have been forgiven of, the more love and compassion we'll have for others and for our Lord. Father, I pray that you'll help us to catch these messages, these these events that took place here in this early discipleship's calling. As he assembles his twelves together, they begin to see his compassion. They begin to see his love because they too now, when Jesus was to die, were to go out and carry that message of love to a lost and dying world. And I believe the disciples caught it. And Father, I pray that we'll catch it also. How our hearts need to be filled with compassion to the needs of the lost and our other brothers and sisters. And that, Father, we'll have more compassion for others than we would for our own selves. But yet I'm afraid that sometimes we miss the whole mark of why we've been called into your kingdom and called to be your children. And that is to be disciples and to be servants of yours and to share our faith. I pray that, Lord, that there in this congregation would be many who would understand what they have been forgiven of. And that instead of having a haughty spirit or walking around with arrogance, that we would be falling at Jesus' feet and kissing His feet and and anointing uh, with our hearts content to the love that we have for Him for what You have done for us. Thank You, Lord, for saving my soul. Now help us to share our faith. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Here's the message. Three things here this morning. Number one, have you had your sins forgiven? You do not want to stand before God with your sins. I talk to a lot of people and I say, do you think you're going to go to heaven? They say, yes. I said, how do you know that? I says, well, I've been good. I've helped people. I've gone to church and all these kinds of things. I says, what about your sins? You see, your sins can only be forgiven by the shed blood of Christ. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ. If you haven't done that, I encourage you to do so. And He washes away all of your sins. And He is compassionate. And He loves us more than we could ever imagine. Number two, do you love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and all of your being? That is the first commandment. And upon it 
hangs all the commandments. The second is likened unto it, that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. My neighbor is looking at eternity. She had a stroke at the beginning of the week. They brought her home yesterday. She's going to go eternity somewhere. I am thankful that within the time that we've been there for 33 years that we've known her, I have shared our faith. She has seen us go to church. She has heard of our Jesus. Yesterday, she was able to wake up for a small portion of time, and I shared my faith with her again. Someday, we're all going to die and spend eternity somewhere. Your neighbors, your relatives, and your friends. My friend, I want to encourage you. Share your faith. How important it is. So, Lord, as we make decisions this morning, you've arrested my soul. You've arrested my soul. I wish, Lord, that we just be consistent now with our love for Thee, not be up and down in our love and our commitment. But that, Lord, that all that matters in our life is to bring You glory and to help others on their journey to be what we ought to be. For, Lord, You have rescued us. The much is forgiven. We have been forgiven much. And I know there are many here this morning that realize and recognize how much You've saved them from. And so right now we are so thankful. We've not gotten over it. We ought to give you our life, however you want to use it. Father, don't let us miss out on the opportunities. This week, as we'll have a whole bunch of kids up at camp, help those kids to come to know Jesus. Help those workers to come to know Him intimately. Oh, God, please work in my heart. Work in our church. God, help us to learn from what we've heard today of the love and compassion that Your Son has for this world, willing to die on the cross for our sins. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing 312 as our closing song. If you're not certain of your eternal destiny, I encourage you to visit before you leave today. 312 is a wonderful, wonderful song. Only trust Him. Any other way? No other way. You know, instead of complaining about all the things that are going on in life, maybe we should just praising Him for what He's done for us. Did you get the message this morning? His mercy, His grace to all of us. Let's stand together. And uh, I trust that the Lord will continue on His work in our lives. Come every soul by sin oppressed. There's mercy with the... Amen. That's amen. God will save us. God will rescue us. We have a great God. Thank the Lord for that. If there are other decisions to be made, please visit before you leave. Tonight, I encourage you to be back at 6. 
And then next week and this week, there'll be all the things that will be taking place, I guess. I'm, I'm not sure all of what's taking place this week, but uh, you read it in the bulletin. I think there's a, a sign-up list on the uh, back back there. We have uh, 24 people coming to work on our property in August and September. Praise the Lord for that. Volunteer Christian Builders. How many were here last year when they came? Remember that? Well, we fed them last year. We fed about 2,000 meals last summer. And so we've got a few less uh, meals to feed this summer. So there's a sign-up list back there. We need as much help as we can. And also uh, what I'm being told is that the, uh, the servers will eat with them as well. So uh, because of limited food, those that uh, are going to be serving, uh, that signed up to be the servers, will be also eating with them. So that will be a blessing too. So they need servers and spon- uh, 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 hostesses setting up the meals and things like that. The mommy and me taking place and then... We have a uh, conference for a uh, family conference, and that sign-up's on the back table. God bless you. We'll see you tonight. You're dismissed.